Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 12. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word today, we need his help. So let us begin with a word of prayer. All-powerful, everlasting, living God, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. Father, we come now to your word today and we ask that you would illuminate it to our hearts. That we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that it might change us. That it might encourage us and challenge us. That it might help us be more and more conformed to the image of your Son. We need your Spirit to help us, and we ask that you would grant it to us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this summer we've continued to work through the book of Psalms, and we've come now to Psalm chapter 12, and oftentimes, as we've seen, David is writing in the midst of a trial. And David went through some significant trials in his life. He he began, really, his reign as king as he was anointed before he was inaugurated by fleeing from Saul and eventually his own son tried to take his life and he had many other skirmishes along the way and we're not exactly sure the time in which David is writing this psalm but you can tell from the language of it that it is certainly a time in which he is in distress once again the beginning of our psalm today tells us that David is coming in prayer. It is perhaps one of the shortest prayers in all of Scripture. Verse 1 begins just these two words. Well, three in English. Save, O Lord. Another way to translate would be help, O Lord. David is crying out for help. He is crying out for salvation. He is making this prayer to God. What's going on around him, as we see in the verses that follow, is there is a lot of falsehood, a lot of lies, a lot of boasting. David is crying out for help that the truth might prevail. Indeed, we are all surrounded by lies. We have all bought in to some degree or another to some lies around us. We are continually broadcasted day in and day out with things that are untrue. 
or proven to be untrue later. And the the big point of our passage today, the big takeaway, the thing that we need most in our lives is the need for truth. It is the cry of David. It is the prayer he makes that truth might prevail. Now, as we think about truth, uh, you know, we're enlightened, modern rationalists, and we think about empirical truth and, and knowing causality. Why did this happen? What was the truth behind the story? You know, we want to see the declassified documents after the scandal is over. Indeed, that is one type of truth. But as we look to Scripture, as we think about the truth in which David is reflecting upon here, what he wants to see prevail isn't merely factual truths. Indeed, it is not less than factual truth, but it is far greater than that. The need for truth, the biblical category of truth, is perhaps one of the most, if not the most, central theme that we must get right. Now, in the Reformed tradition, we have these big, thick books. Sometimes they're in multiple volumes. You know how Reformed you are by the number of systematic theologies you own. And all a systematic theology is is trying to answer the question, what does the whole Bible say about this? What does the whole Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the whole Bible say about covenants? What does the whole Bible say about God's character? I think we do a little exercise with you, and we won't do the whole Bible. We'll just do a survey a bit of the New Testament. What does the New Testament say about truth? Because it's helpful for us to have the full breadth of the definition of truth so we can fully grasp its necessity for us. We'll begin in John's Gospel, John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sounds important. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So if we want to be free, we need truth. If we want to worship God, we need truth. John 14. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is so centrally tied to the idea of truth, he names himself the truth. Jesus, as he prays for his people in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If we want to be sanctified, to grow in holiness, to be changed, we need truth. God's word is truth. 
Perhaps taking a negative example, Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Sin suppresses truth. Perhaps our favorite verse for a wedding, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. There's also an internal problem with truth in the church. The Apostle Paul, as he went and planted churches and proclaimed the gospel and saw many people come to faith, he continued to preach the truth to them, and they didn't always want to hear it. And in Galatians chapter 4, He rebukes the church and he says this, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I got a lot of verses here. I don't think I'll read them all. Related to the idea of the internal struggle with truth in the church, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, perhaps the most helpful caution for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen in their conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep in into households and capture weak women and burden them with sins and lead them astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was to those two men. This dates back as far as we can go into redemptive history. The need for truth and the lie that we want to believe. The lie that Eve believed in the garden instead of believing the truth of God's word. These People who stood up against Moses to speak falseness instead of believing the truth. These men here in this church that Timothy is at. Speaking falseness instead of truth. Two more verses. Perhaps particularly helpful for us who are parents. Third John verses 3 and 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And last of all, towards the end of the book of Revelation, I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Do you see how important the word truth is in the Bible? It is not merely factual information. It is synonymous with the word of God. It is synonymous with Jesus Christ himself. It is synonymous with salvation. Truth 
Without truth, we have no hope. With the absence of truth, we are left with nothing. We are left without salvation. We are left without Christ. We are left without God's word. And it is truth that is at stake that David is crying out for. Now, this is a problem we all know and deal with. Even in our culture, we see the need for truth. And what is our culture's response? What is our solution to the problem of truth in our culture? Fact checkers, right? This article contains misinformation. But what that tells us is that even in the most secular world, people need truth. There is an innate longing in our hearts to know what is truly right. Indeed, the truth we need is far greater than whether or not our news articles are true. We need the truth that points us to God's word, the truth that is found here, the truth that is found in Christ, the truth that brings salvation. And it's here that we see the assault in Psalm chapter 12. What do we see? Verse 1, the godly one is gone. It's actually a plural here. The godly are gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Now, I'm sure there are some faithful people. I'm sure there are some godly people. David is writing the psalm. But it seems like they've lost. Everywhere you look, you don't see godly people. Instead, what do you see? Verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. A double heart is this idiom from the Hebrew that Speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Double speak. Saying one thing to one person and another to another. Saying one thing publicly and another in private. Sound familiar? Everyone else lies to their neighbor. There's no godly people around. It's all lies. It's all deception. It's all flattery. You want to believe a lie? Make it sound good. Flatter people. Tell them what they want to hear. It's indeed the thing that Paul was warning against to Timothy. People wanting to attract for themselves teachers who will itch their ears. Tell them what they want to hear. It's the rebuke that Paul had for the church in Galatia. If I become your enemy by telling you the truth, well, they wanted to be flattered. They wanted Paul to tell them what they wanted to hear. It is our Sinful, sinful tendency to go towards those types of things. And David's prayer is that may the Lord cut off flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? The arrogance of the people, the boasting of the tongue the lawlessness all around David, masters of their own destiny. They've connived this plan, and David is crying out for help. The Lord responds to this cry. He responds to this simple prayer. Help, O Lord. What am I supposed to do? 
The Lord says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The Lord will arise. He sees what is happening. Interesting, the Lord doesn't say, yeah, I'm going to cut off the lips. I'm going to crush the wicked. Perhaps we see that in other Psalms. The Lord promises the vengeance, promises the judgment. We see that even in that imagery from Revelation chapter 19. He is coming to judge with righteousness. The Lord's promise here to David, to those who have suffered at the hands of the wicked, is that the Lord will place them in safety. The Lord will arise. He sees. He acts. The words of the Lord are pure words, flawless words, words without error. True words, like silver refined in a furnace seven times, skimming off the impurity each time. This is how trustworthy how valuable, how pure the words of the Lord are. And as this word comes to David, right, it's not necessarily applicable to us in the sense that when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we feel like we've been the brunt of some untruth, that we are necessarily going to be placed in a safety. Now, we can look at this and, and understand God's character, that ultimately God will bring justice, that ultimately God will deliver us. But David receives this word from the Lord, and he knows that it is flawless and that it is pure and that it is trustworthy. And he confesses, you said this, Lord, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Even there at the end of our psalm, we see, look, Lord, we know you're going to keep us and you will guard us, even though this is going to continue to happen. There wasn't hope in a temporary change of circumstance. There wasn't hope necessarily in some sort of miraculous revival in which all of a sudden truth would become the shared value of the people in Israel. Our hope isn't that people are going to all of a sudden uphold truth in our society. No, the hope that David comes to is that the Lord will keep him. He will keep those whom he has promised to keep, and he will guard them from the wickedness of that generation. As we think about this passage and how it might relate to us, perhaps it's easier for us to just reflect on it privately. Is it not easy for us to look around our culture and see how truth is just not valued? How we hear something publicly from one person one day and find out later that it was all a lie? Or that as the facts come out over time, really we had no idea what we were talking about. 
or that you can have your own truth and I can have my own truth. And as long as we just, you know, don't talk about it, we can get along. This does not describe our situation. The godly ones are gone. The faithful have vanished. We look around and everyone's uttering lies. There's flattering lips, double speak out of their mouths. Don't you ever feel like you just want to cry out, help, oh Lord, I don't know what to do. Afraid to speak, afraid to share something, afraid to tell you what you really believe. It's not a new phenomenon. It dates back at least to David. I imagine it dates back throughout all of the ages. Our hope isn't that we will be delivered, that everybody will be struck down. Our hope is that God will protect us, that God will encourage us, that he will sustain us as we pray for the persecuted church regularly. We don't pray that they'll be able to get onto the airplane and get out of town. We pray that God would encourage them, that he would sustain them, that he would give them boldness and comfort in their affliction. Indeed, it might be that they are removed But whether or not we see deliverance in our day, whether or not we feel like we are winning some sort of temporary battle, the hope is not based on our circumstances. It's based on who God is. It's based on this truth. The words of the Lord are pure. You can take it to the bank. If we want to know how to live our lives, where to put down our foundations, how to stand firm in the midst of a crooked generation, It is here in God's word that we will not be left wanting. It is here that we'll find encouragement and instruction. It is here that his spirit will change us and instruct us and guide us. It is here that we will experience truth that doesn't just confirm that we are right. It will confirm who God is and the salvation that he has offered to us. Because the most ultimate truth the thing that does away with all of our cares and concerns in this world, the truth of Christ, who died for sinners like us, who died for us, who, hey, by the way, I've told a few lies to my neighbors. I've talked out of my mouth on both sides. I've flattered people with my lips. I should have them cut off, but it was Christ who was cut off so that I might be forgiven. And more than that, the truth is Christ died for sinners like you and I, but he also rose from the dead that even in death itself, even as David is fleeing for his life, even if he would be executed, it wouldn't nullify the truth of God's word. It wouldn't nullify this reality that the Lord will keep him. In life and in death, what is your only hope? That I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is what the truth truly is. This is where we must find our confidence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your truth. You have revealed it to us in your word and ultimately through Christ. Father, as we look around ourselves at our circumstances, whether they're good or bad, Father, help us to not be rooted in those things, but instead to be rooted in your eternal, unchangeable, life-giving truth that we might have hope, that we might have rest, that we might have the truth.
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.